begin in Genesis chapter 37 and look at chapter 37, 39, and then we'll go from there to the book of Joshua and look at Joshua chapter 1, and then finally Acts chapter 18. We appreciate so much your presence tonight. If you're visiting with us, as always, we encourage you to come back. Very grateful for those that come our way on a weekly basis, and we appreciate so much you wanting to be a part of our worship tonight. I do want to encourage all of us to be thinking about and praying for our young folks as they begin going back to school very, very soon. I think in the next couple of weeks they'll be starting back. Uh, it won't be long. Some will be going to college, some for the first time. And so we want to keep all of them in our prayers as they begin this new year. Tonight I want us to think for a minute or two about the subject, practicing the presence of God in our lives. Practicing the presence of God in life. The Hebrew writer said, as was read a moment ago, I will never leave you nor forsake you. David, who has been called the friend of God, knew something about the presence of God. I can't help but think about, I can't help but think about the words of David in Psalm 139. Many, many years ago, David asked the question, where shall I go from your presence? Where shall I flee from your spirit? He said, if I ascend into heaven, he said, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, he said, you're there. If I were to take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, he said, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David believed in the presence of God. And I want to suggest tonight that all of us ought to live with the knowledge that God is always at our side. I can't help but think about the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 5. When he said, let your moderation be known to all. And then he said, the Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord is nearby, isn't he? And so to think that God is always at our side. David, that man after God's own heart, he understood the presence of God. Paul knew something about the presence of God. And tonight I want to begin by looking at the life of Joseph. Joseph knew a lot about the presence of God in his life. And I want to begin tonight by first and foremost calling attention as we think about living practicing the presence of God in life. I want to begin by stating, hopefully and prayerfully, that none of us will lose sight of his presence when in the right. Think about what the Bible has to say about Joseph. I was thinking this afternoon about the life of Joseph. If you look at the book of Genesis, Joseph takes up his biographical sketch takes up a large portion of this book. As a matter of fact, beginning in chapter 37 down through chapter 50, emphasis is on the life of Joseph and what Joseph did for God's people, ultimately allowing them to settle in the land of Goshen to become a mighty nation of people. A lot is said in scripture about certain individuals but look at the life of Joseph and what is said about him in comparison to, for example, Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. 
Much is said about this man. So I want to encourage us tonight, don't lose sight of God's presence when in the right. So as I pick up in chapter 37, I find that Joseph is about 17 years of age. He's a teenager. And Joseph lived under the shadow of his father who loved him dearly. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Joseph was the favored son of his father. Joseph, however, drew the ire of his brothers. And I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the fact that Joseph was sold out and then later shipped out. The Bible speaks of this young man, the favored son. And Moses tells us in chapter 37 that his brothers, they envied him. Not only did they envy him, but they hated him. And the Bible says they could not speak peaceably to him. And so as a result of their intense hatred for him, they basically evicted him out of their presence. You remember, Joseph had been sent to check on them. When they saw him coming, they remembered those great dreams that Joseph had had, those dreams indicating the prominence that he would achieve in this lifetime, in his mortal life. So when they saw him, what they did They sold him out. He ended up in the land of Egypt. The Bible tells us he was separated from the father who loved him. They sold him for 30 shekels of silver. And the Bible says they took Joseph to Egypt in verse 28, sold into the hands of the Ishmaelites and Midianites. When word came back to his father, Jacob, as you recall, thought a wild beast had torn him to pieces. And the text tells us in verse 34 that that Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, for he said, "I I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Let me ask you this question. What did Joseph do to deserve the treatment that he received from his brothers? Joseph was a good, he was a a good young man, wasn't he? The Bible doesn't say anything about him being a rebel rouser, disobedient, hateful, or anything like that, but it does say that about his brothers. So you think about here's a fellow that's doing what's right. And what happened? He was sold out and then shipped out. Finds himself in Egypt. And so look at chapter 39 for a minute. In chapter 39 we find here's Joseph, this young man of 17 years of age. And Potiphar makes him the master of his house. Tremendous power is placed in the hands of young Joseph, isn't it? The Bible says that all was placed in his hands. And then the text tells us that 
Potiphar's wife. She thought he was a good-looking young man. And so she cast her eyes upon him and she sought to seduce him. Over and over again, she is encouraging him to engage in relations with her. He refused to do that. Now again, think about it. This is a young man. 17 years of age, he's been sold out, he's been shipped out, separated from family and from friends, from the father that loved him. And so the text tells us, look at verse 7. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused. And here's what he said. Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He's committed all into my hand. There's no one greater in, my, in this house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you're his wife. And then he asked this question. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Two things here. The tremendous faith of Joseph. Had you been sold out and shipped out at the age of 17, would you have maintained your faith in God? Now we talk about remembering the presence of God when we're in the right. There are times in life when we are in the right and we suffer injustices. There are times when we are on the receiving end of ill treatment, hatred, malice, gossip, backbiting, and any other number of things. So here is, here is a young man that's maintained his faith, his fidelity. He's been separated from family, from friends, from the home that no doubt he loved. And here's Potiphar's wife. Things have settled down, seem to be going well. He's risen to a place of prominence, and yet he has a thorn in the flesh. So what she do? Look at what the text says. She spoke to, jo to Joseph day by day, but he didn't heed her, to lie with her or to be with her. And then the text says it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And then you recall she, she called for the men of the house. And she said, this Hebrew, he's come to mock us. He's come in to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. So let me ask this question for standing up for what was right, for doing what he believed in his heart of hearts was the right thing to do. How did he get repaid for that? The text tells us he's thrown into prison, wasn't he? What had he done to deserve that? Sometimes you're going to suffer for doing what's right. Joseph did. Now, I think about his faith in God, but I want you to notice something in chapter 39. Note, if you would, his favor from God. The text tells us initially when Joseph got down 
got down to Egypt. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. So he's with him when he gets into Egypt and then drop down and note if you would. He's confined to prison. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in, his, in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And then the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's hand. And why was that? Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Tremendous lesson here, I think. And that is, don't ever lose sight of God's presence when in the right. There are going to be times in your life, whether it's at school, whether it's on the job, whether it's among your peers, whether you're in the community, it might be the case that it happens on your ball team. You're going to stand up for what's right. And you're going to draw that proverbial line in the sand and say, you know what, I'm not crossing that line. I'm going to do what's right, come what may. And you'll suffer for it. But what God, I think, taught Joseph was, no matter where he was, no matter what was going on, he was always with him. And you look at the story of Joseph. And Joseph could look back and reflect upon the providential care and safekeeping of Almighty God. And Joseph could say to his brothers that had mistreated him, that had envied him and hated him and couldn't speak peaceably to him, he could say, look, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Let me tell you what, it's encouraging to know that when we stand for what's right, and God wants us to stand up for what's right, he wants us to demonstrate tremendous faith in him. But to know that no matter what happens, he's always at our side. You remember what the Hebrew writer said? said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now there's a second account I want you to look at. Look over in Joshua chapter 1 now. In Joshua chapter 1, we have an account of Joshua assuming the mantle of leadership from the reins of Moses. First we think about not losing sight of God's presence when we're in the right but secondly, don't lose sight of God's presence in your plight or circumstance in life. There are going to be times in your life when quite possibly you're going to assume leadership capacities. And there are times in life when we're called upon to serve. And sometimes we, like Moses, ask the question, why me, Lord? I think about Joshua. And Joshua was commissioned by God. God's people had come out of Egyptian bondage. Moses wanted to carry them into the promised land, yet was prohibited from so doing. The Bible tells us that he died at the age of 120. So word comes to Joshua, one who had been mentored and instructed by Moses. And the Bible says in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. Think about it. God is calling Joshua 
to serve us. And really what he's saying is, Joshua, it's time for you to step up. Step up and assume this mantle of leadership. We got a lot of young folks here. And one day they will be in positions of authority, positions of leadership. Not just in the community, not just in maybe school systems, but in civil government in the church, in any number of areas of life. Sometimes it can be overwhelming when you think about the magnitude of responsibility resting upon your shoulders. So here's God summoning Joshua to service. And what God was saying to him is simply this, it's time for you to lead the children of God to lead my people into the promised land. And so in light of that, God, God reminds Joshua of something. I think something that's very important. So I think about that commission, but then the courage. The courage to assume this mantle of leadership. Look, if you would, at what the Lord said to Joshua. Arise and go over this Jordan. You and all this people to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel, he said, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, he said, I've given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea going down toward the going down of the sun, he said, shall be your territory. Then here's what he said. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, listen if you would to the tremendous promise that God makes to Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Don't you think that was encouraging? When you think about here is Joshua, and he has been working hand in hand and under the tutelage of Moses. Moses has been his mentor. And he's seen all the great works of God, the tremendous acts of mercy, compassion, and grace that God has demonstrated time and again toward the children of Israel. And Moses has been this powerful force among the Israelite nation. Moses is now gone. And God says to Joshua, all right, Joshua, it's time for you to assume this role of leadership. You need to understand something. Just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And then listen to what he said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Boy, he had a monumental task to lead the children of God into the promised land to divide the territories. And yet God is saying, I'm going to be with you, Joshua, every single step of the way. Now you think about your circumstances in life today. Whatever circumstance you might find yourself in, wherever you may be, whatever's going on in your life, to know that God, God's with you. Listen to what God said to Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now look at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go or that you might have success wherever you go. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Note if you would, God attaches prosperity and success to honoring his word. Is that not the case today? Are there not people in our world today, and we talk about having the presence of God in our lives and practicing the presence of God. And I can promise you there are a lot of people in our world today, they're looking for a better way of life. They're searching for something. They may not, know, they may not necessarily understand what it is they're searching for. But most people, they'll tell you they're looking for a better life. They're looking for quality in life. They're looking for some measure of happiness, a sense of purpose. And sadly, a lot of people look in the wrong places, don't they? And you know what God said to Moses and what God is saying to Joshua? If you'll honor my will, I'll bless your life. You'll be prosperous. You'll be successful. But he also told the children of Israel, if you dishonor me, and you live in disobedience, what will I do? Will I bless you? No, I will not. He said, I'll curse you. And there are a lot of people that sadly have many, many problems, and many of those problems are self-inflicted. Why? Because they chose to ignore the will of God. So now in verse 9, here's what God said. Have I not commanded you be strong, of good courage? Listen to him. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Is God with us wherever we go? Yes, he is. Remember the song, Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go? Do you believe the Lord is with you wherever you go? Don't lose sight of God's presence when in the right. Don't lose sight of his presence in your plight. Whatever your circumstances Whatever task you're called upon to engage in, remember the presence of God. Then finally, look at Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, we have an account of the apostle Paul. And Paul has been engaging in missionary work. And he has been from city to city, from town to town, preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. In chapter 17, he had been in Thessalonica. From there, he had made his way to Berea. From Berea to the city of Athens. And then from Athens, the Bible tells us he made his way down to the city of Corinth. When he got to Corinth, he found himself among an interesting group of people. The Athenians, as you well know, they were steeped in idolatry. The Corinthians, they too were idolatrous, but also they were immoral. And so, here's Paul. And he's in the city of Corinth. And God is going to use him in a mighty way. So the third point, don't lose sight of God's presence as a light. 
A moment ago when we prayed, Isaiah prayed that we might be a light in this world. And Jesus said, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Did you know that sometimes fear can be a catalyst in concealing the light? In other words, when we become fearful and anxious about what's going on about us, it's quite possible that rather than revealing the light of Christ, we conceal the light of Christ. So look at what the account says about the Apostle Paul. He's made his way to the city of Athens. He is identified with Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers, as Paul was. In verse 4, the Bible says, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was constrained by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ, in other words, the Messiah. But then note, if you would, their opposition to the teaching of Christ. When they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. He said, I'm clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul was not well received by the Jews in Corinth. And so, based on where he was at that point in time, he said, I'll just focus my attention on whom? On the Gentile people. God had said when he called him back in Acts chapter 9 that he would be a witness on his behalf to the Gentiles, to kings, and to, and to the children of Israel. So here's the apostle Paul. He is in the city of Corinth. He's being opposed. And sometimes when we're fearful, we're hesitant to be a light, to share the light, to stand for truth, to do what's right. So know what the text says. Verse 7. The Bible says that Paul departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that he baptized this man into Christ. And then look at verse 8. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. And God said, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. He said, for I'm with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. I want to talk just a minute about Paul and his faith and that faith serving as a catalyst so that he might be a revealing light in the city of Corinth. But if you look at Paul in the city, in the city itself and you think about the kind of people that Paul is talking to, he's talking to the Jews, he's talking to Grecians, and the Grecians prided themselves in their wisdom and knowledge. And yet Paul would say, I preached Christ and him crucified to you. Paul is, he's among a lot, of, a lot of pagan people. People that are filled with idolatry and immorality. And no doubt, 
in a city the size of Corinth. Some have said that the city, the city was some 700,000 people in population, of which 200,000 were slaves. A vast city. It would have been very easy for Paul to have just written the city off. I mean, think about it. I mean, these people are idolatrous, they're immoral. He's been opposed. The easiest thing in the world for Paul to have done would have been to pack up and leave. But God needed him in that city. And sometimes we need to be reminded of God's presence in our lives because God needs us as a light. You're a light in this community. Wherever you go in this world, you're called upon to be a light. Now, as Luke says, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and obeyed the gospel. They were baptized into Christ. Would have never happened had Paul chosen to shut down the work and leave the city. So I think about faith. I said a minute ago that fear can cause us to conceal the light, but faith can cause us to reveal the light. So listen to God's word again to Paul. God said, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. And then he said, for I'm with you. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 10 when the Lord sent his disciples out to preach and teach about the kingdom of God? Three times in Matthew chapter 10, God told his disciples, do not fear. I mean, they were faced with the possibility of persecution, hatred, death. Look at Matthew chapter 10 just very quickly. And listen to what Jesus said. When we think about being a light, Jesus in the great Sermon on the Mount taught his disciples that they were going to have to be a leavening agent for good. They're going to have to be the salt of the earth. He said, you're also going to have to be the light of the world. So when he sends them out, he said, look, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Verse 17, he said, beware of men. They will deliver you up to the councils. He said, they'll scourge you in their synagogues. Drop down, look at verse 22. He said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Verse 23, he said, they'll persecute you. Tough times. But God still needed them, didn't he? God needed these disciples to be a light, just like God needed the apostle Paul to be a shining light, a beacon of light in Corinth. So look at verse 26. Therefore, do not fear them. Look at verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body. Look at verse 31. Do not fear. What was it Paul was told by God? Do not be afraid. I'm with you. Now you think about it. Paul is in the city of Corinth. Hundreds of thousands of people in that city. Did they need the gospel? Yes. Could Paul have been intimidated by the Jews and by the opposition? Yes, he could have. As a matter of fact, I think it's quite possible that Paul was intimidated. And so God appears to him and God says, look, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to understand that I'm with you. I've got a lot of people in this city and what do they need to hear? They need to hear the gospel, don't they? So we think about not losing sight 
of God's presence as a light. God wants us to be a beacon of light in this community, wherever we are. Did you know that it might be the case that you and only you could lead somebody to Christ? It might be that there is somebody, a friend, a family member, a coworker, a classmate, a teammate, a neighbor, whomever. It might be that you are the only person that could reach that person with the gospel. And God needs you as a light. Sometimes, like Paul, we're fearful. Possibly we fear persecution, verbal taunts. Possibly we fear losing a friendship or losing a position. But God's saying, I'm with you. And I hope and pray that as we live day to day, and as we strive to the best of our ability to live the Christian life, that day in and day, in, day out we will practice the presence of God because God, what God is saying to us is, I'm not going anywhere. I'll always be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul needed to be reassured, and sometimes as Christians we need to be reassured. Sometimes, sometimes we need encouragement. We're not alone. And let me tell you, in the world in which we live, in a country that in many respects has become hostile toward Christianity, it's encouraging to know that God will be with us every step of the way. So I want to encourage you tonight, live and practice God's presence. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your love and care for us. And Father, we're grateful that you have promised to always be with us, come what may. We're grateful for your presence in the lives of some of your great saints in the past. People like Joseph and Joshua and Paul. And Father, just as you were with them, we know that you'll be with us. Help us to not be discouraged. Help us to always stand for what's right and be a light in this community and in the world in which we live. We pray that you would watch over us and bless us and save us in heaven one day in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ. Believing Jesus to be the Son of God, if you believe that with all your heart and you would be willing to repent of your sins, confess His name before others, and be baptized into Christ, then God will forgive all your sins, Acts 2 verse 38. He'll put you in the church, Acts 2 verse 47. If you're faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here tonight, and for whatever reason, your life is not what it ought to be and you need the prayers of the church, We'd be happy to pray with you and for you tonight. If you're here tonight and you're discouraged, despondent, maybe you feel all alone, we want you to know that the Lord's with you. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you 
as we stand and sing.